Thank you again for joining us today on Neighbors in Need. This is a very special one because Irene and I have known each other. God, I can't even. Let's not talk numbers, right, Irene? (laughs) It was a long time ago where we first met. And we're bringing you back on for self-direction for the developmentally disabled. Um, Thank you so much for coming in, by the way. You're welcome. So... When you and I first met, and I think this is very important to the discussion today, to the topic of self-direction for developmentally disabled. When we first met, Lindsay, your daughter, was eight? Was she eight? Oh, yes. You're right. Yes. Because your daughter is on the spectrum, right? She has autism. And I remember our very first conversation was just learning about autism. I mean, that was still kind of new It was very new. So she was little, wasn't she? She was very young. Yeah. Yes. She was like the six, seven, eight range. Um, and now Lindsay is how old? 26 years old. That's remarkable. Yeah. And we still look the exact same as we did when we first met. Yes, we did. <laughs> we didn't change a bit. Uh, your story is really important to now your new passion with helping out other um, adults and children. So... First, Lindsay was diagnosed with autism when she was, what did you say, the age? Five years old. Five, okay. And from that point on, from that diagnosis on, you and I connected once in a while, and it was like an uphill battle for you. There was always a fight to fight, wasn't there? Well, I think early on, there wasn't a lot known about autism. So uh, with the diagnosis, it opened up a lot of services for her. Um, At that time, parents had brought applied behavioral analysis to Rochester. So we were able to get that service for her in school. Uh, I had a phenomenal CSE chairperson in my uh, district who allowed her to receive the service at home at the beginning of her school years, um, and that dramatically helped. Um, We did the uh, biomedical interventions with the casein gluten-free diet, and back then um, there wasn't much about it in the stores. Now you know, you see rice bread in the stores. Um, it wasn't there back then. Um, so there were a lot of challenges just because there wasn't a lot known about autism. Yeah, it was all new to us. We were just starting the conversation. Correct. And um, thank goodness for the parent support groups because with that effort, we were able to find other interventions and services and supports that would help our children. I mean, just to give you a for instance, in my daughter had sensory dysfunction. We went to Boston for a week for an evaluation assessment and protocol that we came back to Rochester with so that the um, therapist could then give her the treatment that she needed Um, because it just wasn't in Rochester at the time. And now it is. And now it is. Yes. So there's a lot more known about autism and what services and therapies would help these kids and adults. And even the um, the service dog, too, the need for a service dog and how important to have that animal with you, that really helped Lindsay out a lot, didn't it? It did. So we've had him for nine years now. And the benefit of having uh, Bentley is his name is that I don't have to worry about her bolting or wandering away. And we had lost her a couple of times, which was scary. And, and one time we had to involve the police because we couldn't find her. So... Just having Bentley there and his ability to be able to find her by scent um, just gave me that extra sense of 
security that I didn't need to worry about Lindsay wandering off or running away. And at the schools at the time, um, do you feel like they understood it as, I mean, they clearly understand it more now, right? Do you feel like they're more proactive? I think they're more open to what these children need. So at the beginning when we did bring Bentley, and that was nine years ago, we were the first um, in our school district to bring a a service dog in. And, um, you know, it was an uphill battle, but um, we did successfully get Mm -hmm. Bentley in school with her. And um, and the school was willing to provide the support as the handler for for Bentley because uh, Lindsay is not able to give the dog commands. She's nonverbal autistic, so she just isn't capable of doing yeah. that. And now, I mean, it, it's, it's kind of refreshing to see this open conversation. Wouldn't you say? I mean, we are making some big strides. And and you know, most notably, the transition from school to. Uh, the community has been more seamless with the service dog. So, so yes, I see that people are much more open with mm-hmm. service dogs. We've had some challenges uh, where people don't understand the role of a service dog, um, but I think the tide is turning. Um, people are understanding that more and more. Yeah. We had Epilepsy Prelude was just in not too long ago, and they were saying how important it is, and it's a new way of thinking. Um to provide services that are catered to the individual. Whereas before, when we were growing up, and probably I would say when Lindsay was younger, it was, here's the way, here's the program. Now your child has to try to fit into this program. And if they don't fit, well, I don't know what to tell you. And now we're changing that mindset, right? Correct. So I just wanted to read um, an excerpt that I found. Um, Self-determination is a civil right. So in the 1999 Olmstead decision, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that services to persons with disabilities must be provided in the most integrated setting possible. The ruling helped move Medicaid funding away from institutions and traditional models by allowing states to use Medicaid to fund services that support people with disabilities to live in their communities. Okay. And that's where self-direction has really come to life and taken... Um, taken a new direction for a lot of people with disabilities and their families. And so that was in what year? 1999. Okay, 1999, but then it always takes, there's a lag of time. Right, so when do you think it started to be really implemented? 2014. That's when Medicaid um, instituted the new changes that that self-direction is the way to go with people with disabilities. And now there are more and more organizations like, for example, Epilepsy Prelude, who are embracing this new way of thinking. Yes, exactly. And and then that's the umbrella um, title, I guess you can give it, is the self-direction? Yes. Okay. Um, Now, how do you fall into this besides living it with your own daughter? Now, where are you? Because it's very, you're very passionate about this. So, um, so with my own daughter, we uh, launched her self-direction program last year. And um, before that, she was living at home and really wasn't doing a whole lot in the evening and weekends. She did go to day program, which the day program served her well. She enjoyed what she was doing there. But it was the evening weekends that were more of a struggle. Um, and I just felt that she wasn't growing um, at home. 
she really needed to, to leave. So with self-direction and implementing her plan, we found an apartment that she shares with another person with a disability. Oh God, how hard was that? Um, I'm still, I'm still, you know, <laughs> getting it's over that. You wanna, <laughs> right. You want to protect. Yeah. Okay. So, and again, it's been over a year. So I have some wonderful staff that work with her. She requires 24-7 support. Um, but I just want to explain that Lindsay, in my opinion, has grown so much just in that year and a half, yeah. moving away from her parents and living on her own. And on her own is, it's, it's not quite on her own because she does have supports, but it is on her own in that she gets to decide. Independence. Yeah, she gets to decide what she wants to eat. She gets to decide what time she wants to eat. She gets to decide what she wants to do in the evening and what time she wants to go to bed. So those decisions are hers and not my decisions anymore. And she gets to choose where she wants to go out into the community. Um, and again, those are her decisions, not my decisions. And for those parents who, and again, you said this is fairly new. Um, do you feel like there are a lot of parents still in the, um, old way of thinking like, okay, I have a child with a developmental disability and they are going to live with me forever. And there's nothing, there's no program that really fits their needs. So therefore they're just going to stay home? Yeah, I actually have met many parents who have, and they're aging parents with um, adult children with disabilities, and they still live at home with them. So um, those are the parents that I want to reach. I've since become trained as an independent broker, and my role as an independent broker is to work with those parents to develop a plan to help them formulate a, um, a life for their adult children um, that the adult child would want or the adult person would want. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe they don't want to live at home with mom and dad anymore. Maybe they do want to live on their own somewhere in an apartment or sharing an apartment with someone or a house. Um, and, and then, you know, really enjoying the things that they like to do, such as going to the movies, uh, going to the theater, uh, bowling in a league, um, going skiing, ice skating, you know, those type of interests that they have, not necessarily what mom and dad drag yeah. me to. Yeah. Um, so those are the parents that I would really like to reach out to is those, those parents who have been stuck with having their adult children at home because they don't know what to do. They what don't know that there? there's other options out mm-hmm. there. And that probably can... weighs heavy on them as they get older. Correct. What's going to happen. Yes. Um, but we want that any parent wants that for any child, their own child. It's hard to say goodbye to your child or watch them grow. It's bittersweet, but we all want the best for our children and set them up to succeed. So this is um, the same exact thing. It's really. not It really when it comes down to it, it's not any different. And I just think there's just an extra challenge in there because if your adult child isn't able to care for them, who will? Um so, you know, there are people out there that are very willing to take care of other people with disabilities. Um, so it's really connecting parents mm-hmm. with those people um, and, and really to look at the other models out there. Um, you know, there are more and more parents who are successful in having their adult children move out. And 
And it's not just moving out, but it's really seeing their adult children have a life of their own, which is what every parent wants for their Mm -hmm. child, whether they're disabled or not. And they do grow when they are, like you said, you've, you've watched, you've seen it firsthand with Lindsay. Yes. They, they really gain a lot of independent skills that they wouldn't have been able to do at home. And that's only because um, they're used to having mom and dad do it Mm -hmm. for them all the time. So when they're out on their own, they really need to. Yeah. Now, being an independent broker, what does that mean? How did you find what? So you advocate um, for those individuals. And so as an independent broker, I went through the training that OPWDD offered. That's um, the Office for People with Developmental Disabilities. Um, and it was one week of training. And after the training, um, I was uh, added to a list of other brokers. And once um, a family is interested in self-direction, they go through a process, and it's called the front door. Um, And they explain about all the services that OPWDD offers. And then there's an assessment process that's done to ensure that the individual qualifies uh, for the services. Um, And then once um, the qualifications are there, um, then the uh, OPWDD informs the family that their adult child um, qualifies for the service and it's and qualifies for self-direction, and then they can look for a broker. Um, So the broker is the person that works with the family in putting this plan together. And it's a financial plan. Um, There's dollars associated with this plan, but those dollars are associated with the person and their needs based on that assessment. Okay. And then the family um, would then hire a fiscal intermediary. Fiscal intermediaries are usually with agencies and they are the budget authority. They are the people that will um, vet the prospective employees, and uh, they will do the background clearances. They will act as the HR uh, liaisons. Um, they pay um, the person, so they will do the por- payroll. Um, and they really are there to help the families in knowing what's covered, what's not covered in their budget. Okay. Um, and they also build Medicaid for the reimbursement of those services. So you pretty much hold the hand of these families and say, okay, and here's our next step. Exactly. Next- so I work with families in uh, pulling um, their circle of support together. So their circle of support would include the individual with the disability, mm-hmm. their parents, the uh, Medicaid service coordinator, Um, and anyone else involved in that person's life. It could be an aunt, an uncle, a cousin, a neighbor, but anyone who has a vested interest in this individual and uh, and knows them. And then um, as the broker, I would facilitate the circle of support and understanding what the person's needs are, what their interests are, what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are, and help them formulate a plan of, what will this individual be doing during the day? What will they be doing in the evening and the weekend? What would they like to do? And then what supports do they need to help them do those activities? Okay, and we're going to get into more detail with this um, next week um, because I feel like there is so much more still that we need to discuss with this. Self-direction for developmentally disabled 
what is our first step though? Let's just leave everybody with where is our go-to place or who's that first phone call that we need to make to start this self-direction process? So um, if the person doesn't have a Medicaid service coordinator, then I would suggest that they contact the OPWDD. Okay. And the website is opwdd.ny.gov uh, slash self-direction. There's uh, lots of information on, okay. on self-direction. Wonderful. So you can start there, and then next week we'll uh, we'll bring you back in, Irene, and we'll discuss this further in more detail of um, of how you can help your your children in self-direction for developmentally disabled. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me.